So I'm doing something a little different today and handing the reins over to Audrey, who's one of the ambassadors here at Eating Disorders Victoria. Audrey's going to share her story, just as she would if she were speaking at an event or in a hospital, as she often does. It's a chance for you to hear her story in a linear way, without interruption, and it's a format that we want to be able to bring you more of with many more ambassadors that we have here at EDV. So let's get into it. Here's Audrey's story. Hey, I'm Audrey. I'm 28 years young, working full-time for the government as a policy advisor in talent and migration with a background in psychology and psychophysiology. I'm a bunny foster fail, but I absolutely love them all. I started off with one and there are now four rabbits that are my kids. I've completed my yoga teacher training and throughout lockdown really got into gardening and built a vegetable garden, which I'm very proud of. I like to wind down my work days with knitting and I've been knitting jumpers and cardigans since lockdown. One of my favourite things in the world though is spending time with friends, going for walks, brunch or coffee, talking about our worlds and what's going on inside each of them and our imaginations for the future. I've achieved all of this and much more since recovery. I'm here to talk to you today about it. I know how you may be feeling as I've been exactly where you are, anxious, confused and feeling at my absolute worst with someone that's recovered, talking to us and motivating us about how great it is to be recovered. But this was actually my aha moment when someone came and spoke to me and told me how great they were that they had been recovered. That day, something clicked. So today, I'm not here to make anything click for you, but maybe just to listen and have a break from everything else that's going on. My eating disorder started secretly and unconsciously when I was finishing high school. With the stress of keeping up with education, trying to decide what to do next, always trying to be the best I could be and perfect, maintain a social life, be a good friend and girlfriend and support my family. It all got a bit too much and I was spiralling into chaos. I spent such a long time in denial thinking that nothing was wrong. I honestly thought nothing was wrong. My family life wasn't great as I had parents arguing all the time and if they weren't arguing, it was a house fueled by passive aggression. My father and brother soon moved out of our home, leaving my mother and I to live together. My mum worked full-time and was out frequently in the evenings attending functions, so my eating became something I could unconsciously control as I was losing control to a lot around me. I couldn't control my family's decisions, but what I could control was the way I handled food and the relationship I had with food. In hindsight, and looking back now, I was so ashamed and embarrassed of my parents going through a divorce as I thought it was wrong and would make me different. I should have openly shared it with more people instead of only telling a very few people around me that I wouldn't be able to hide it from. I was always very good at bottling my feelings and many things going on in my life and I really struggled to share and I wanted everyone to think that I was just fine and happy. I craved normality in routine. 
I had people in my life that were coming and going, which was no fault of their own, but I personally struggled as I was trying to figure out who I was and not being able to see them affected me as I was really craving constant reassurance and support from my world and it's something I really needed. Change as well was all around me and it can be really complicated even when you know what to do. By the time I had finished my first year of university was when things took another turn for the worse. The breakdowns, confusions and voices inside me were really affecting me. The look on people's faces around me and conversations I was having with friends worried about me was something I could no longer hide and avoid from. My eating disorder was controlling the uncontrollable and it was really obvious to the outside world that I wasn't coping or able to look after myself. I had started outsmarting my own ability to question myself. It was all I could think about, controlling and consuming me, and all I knew was that I was addicted to exercising and control and it became a priority for me over other things that had previously been so important to me. I was tired at work, tired everywhere, tired having conversations and I couldn't concentrate in in conversations and I struggled to look at people in the eye. I had voices inside my head that were constantly telling me I'm not good enough and they had had to keep going. It was like I had a goal, but I had no idea what the end goal was. It was an addiction. It decided what I could and couldn't do in a day, what I could and couldn't eat. And I'm here to tell you today, addiction is real and it's plain cruel. I was lost, sad and confused. And I remember sitting in my past bedroom one day, wondering what was going on inside me. I was exhausted by trying to keep going as everything was fine and facing reality seemed too hard for me, so I kept creating this world inside me. I wondered how I got to where I was and if I would ever be the same again and who I was and what was my identity. I was miserable, ashamed, embarrassed, and I felt so utterly lonely. All I knew was that I couldn't stop. Unfortunately, I pushed a lot of people close to me away as I was embarrassed and I really struggled at being a good friend. I also ended an important relationship as I knew I wasn't able to meet them in the middle and I was just afraid of letting people down and being a burden. I was experiencing some really dark places. Before I knew it, there was a team of five, including a paediatrician, psychologist, dietitian, and GP. My GP suggested that we needed to build a team around me as this was going to be a journey. I didn't realise the journey would take so long with so many ups and downs screaming in tears. My eating disorder felt threatened, which was terrifying. Fighting this demon inside me was daunting and exhausted, but finally I started accepting help from others. I look back and I wonder what are the triggers. I hadn't had any catastrophic events happen to me, but I believe the triggers that would put me at risk were possibly being a Virgo, always trying to be a high achiever, although I'm far from a perfectionist, having loss of control of the changing close relationships around me and just being really frustrated and not being able to accurately vent my frustrations into understandable and meaningful words. I just wished I was invisible. I wanted to be invisible. The transition to university was also tough and trying to create new friends. My mother wasn't coping emotionally through the divorce as she was finding out some really hard truths, which I found out later on. But this led to a really tough relationship with her as home was an outlet for her and hey, guess what? That's where I was. 
We were both putting on brave faces at school and our workplaces, so at home mum was quite strict on me. Looking back at it now, she was just doing her best and thought it was the best for my education, but upon reflection, I feel this really affected my self-esteem. My dad, he's a great guy and a constant source of entertainment. We're close and we have each other's back, but my dad, as a son of immigrants that fled from Poland and Austria during World War II, he was brought out with emotions that were hush-hush. So when he had this 20-year-old young girl with mental illness, he wasn't able to rationalise his emotions or validate mine. It was so frustrating as I thought he was embarrassed and ashamed of me, but he just didn't really know how to talk to me about it. I felt that this impacted me as I felt I wasn't important and it fed my belief that it was better to merely exist and be invisible. But over a long time, and the help of our family psychologist, he broke down some walls and learned to regulate his emotions too. I remember my psychologist told my dad, if she doesn't start getting better, she won't be here on your birthday. And that night, I had never felt my dad give me a tighter hug. He was telling me he was sorry and he was right next to me the whole way through. In hindsight, I wish I shared these feelings earlier with my psychologist at family therapy in an open, safe setting as perhaps my dad would have known how I really felt inside as he isn't a mind reader. For carers out there, there's so much going on and if you struggle sharing emotions or processing information, reach out to a professional and let them know that you're struggling communicating your feelings and they can coach and guide you communicate with your loved one because we just want to feel loved, trusted and supported. But what was helpful through my recovery? My paediatrician had this magical safe energy about her. She provided me with so much love and just this warmth. I kind of get emotional thinking about her and how grateful I am that she just believed in me and never gave up on me no matter what and no matter how I was each time. My dietitian also provided me with psychological advice as most times I saw her I would just be in tears asking her just why, why. She told me to find people in life that put rocks in my jar and don't take them and I still think of this expression most days. My psychologist suggested that we go down the Maudsley approach, which she explained as a wholesome approach. It was not, <laughs> but overall, I suppose I can say it was. Cut short, it's family therapy, which included my younger brother. It was excruciatingly painful at the start, but to see my younger brother show up twice a week to those sessions with the most intent and understanding of someone I had ever seen almost broke me. My brother is really powerful in that he provided me with such protection, even though he was battling his own internal thoughts and feelings and dealing with my parents' divorce. He pushed his own issues aside and never let me feel alone. My friends, they were also so helpful. I pushed quite a few of them away, but then felt as though they left me, which is some manipulation of an eating disorder, but they are so supportive. Some friends also came into my life for this period of time and even though I don't really talk to them now, I will forever be in gratitude for their kindness, patience and support. What was unhelpful was unfortunately the way my mum acted and what she thought was supportive. My mum was so terrified of what was going on and I'm really grateful for the sacrifices she made and how she never gave up on me. But unfortunately, her regular coping mechanisms were using scare tactics that would infuriate me and stress me out and I would regress. 
My mum didn't know a lot about eating disorders and perhaps it was assumed knowledge that I thought she knew all about them, but also she was my mum and I still believed at that time that she was meant to fix everything and know it all, but it really affected her in more ways than one. Same with my dad and brother. I don't think we will ever be the same. Treatment took a really long time, but what really helped me was setting goals each week. The goals were something that were easily tangible and they were simple. For example, getting to drive again, being able to go to an event with friends or even going back to work. These goals seemed terrifying as it was though I was giving in to my illness, but it was exciting as each step I was taking back control of my life. If I missed a goal, unfortunately, I would have increased meal plans sooner, which I would struggle with as it's something I couldn't prepare myself for or self-soothe easily as it was more of a surprise. All my meals were supervised and basically my whole life was supervised at this time and all I wanted was just for some independence. It would take me a day or two to recover and reset and keep motivated, but it was really important for me during these times where I had had a meal increase to be mentally quiet and just keep myself calm and rested. I think the hardest part was that I was terrified throughout it all because I didn't know what would happen next. Unfortunately, as I began recovering, I began having other symptoms. I suffered from IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and I started to go over time yellow and I was constantly itching all over my body and waking up in the middle of the night just sweating. After months of investigation and blood tests, my GP diagnosed me with autoimmune liver disease, which I will live with for life. This was heart-wrenching as I had just turned 23 and I was diagnosed with liver disease. I thought it was pretty unfair as I hadn't drunk much alcohol, especially over the last few years. But I did soon realise that this was the deprivation the eating disorder had done to my body. I was so angry at my eating disorder as I had started my own business. I was busy enjoying life. Why would it do something like this? My liver disease also challenged me in another way as I had to go on a high dose of steroids that drastically changed the shape of my body and face. I had to buy new clothes from sizes I never thought I would have had to look at as they were quite a few sizes bigger than what I was useful, but I felt thankful that clothing styles came in a size that was still there. I was so nervous to see people as I was physically so different and I really felt embarrassed. This also challenged me and tested my beliefs and perceptions of what an eating disorder can look like and a reminder that eating disorders look different on everyone and they're not one size. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only health scare that happened post my eating disorder. I had a non-epileptic brain seizure of a psychosomatic illness in 2017 and I was in hospital for a few weeks, which has left me a bit neurodiverse, followed by further inpatient treatment and again in a psych ward, but this time not related to my eating disorder. That really challenged me being back in a place where my controls were taken away back in the psych ward. However, each day I became more resilient. I was triggered when the nurses went through my bags, would look in the bathroom and do room checks, but I knew I had nothing to hide. And I know we aren't encouraged to make friends, but I really made a good friend that helped me get through and we understood each other. And my goodness, it feels so good to be understood. I wish it stopped there though. Months following, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. 
Chronic fatigue syndrome was something I knew I had for a long time, but takes months to diagnose. I had to go to two clinicians and a specialist, repeatedly providing feedback about my routine and lifestyle, well, lack thereof, as it wasn't low iron. Chronic fatigue syndrome is still really misunderstood, but it was a relief when I got my chronic healthcare plan and I was able to start having physio twice a week. By having chronic fatigue syndrome, I probably have turned more into an introvert as I need to support my body and spend a lot of time at home, which I openly love spending time at home, it's no secret, but it's something I really struggled explaining. I would suggest if anyone has chronic fatigue syndrome or becomes diagnosed, speak with your professional and psych on how to communicate your symptoms and why you can't always do things. As I was moving through all my illnesses and treatments, I was basically on my hands and knees hoping that everything was going to get better. This was really where I learned to look after myself and in turn to love myself. It didn't happen overnight, but over time I learned to let go of how I used to live and just breathe in every day. I suppose I was also at a stage in my life where I felt comfortable inviting new people in and I met my now partner and he taught me also to really love myself. He taught me this as he always just looked at me in my eyes and would comment on how bright I looked. He would tell me I looked great if I was wearing something great but never commented on my body. He commented on what he loved about me and my qualities and values rather than what body size I was. I think the secret was I had to learn to love myself first and be happy and healthy with myself. Then someone that deserves me will come along. And that's what they always say. But I guess in this instance, it is how it happened. I learned to love myself by choosing to love myself, knowing that it would help me in all areas of my life and having really good role models around me that had this positive self-love. It's true, surrounding yourself by people that have this is really important and they don't need to post about it on social media or yell from the rooftops. They can just be those quiet people that you have around you but are just quietly really motivating. So let's fast forward a few years and my life is so full. I've graduated from uni a few years ago, which took nearly seven years to graduate from a three-year degree. I've been involved in some really incredible companies and had some opportunities. I've travelled and I have the most wonderful, supportive people in my life. I love cooking and cooking for people I love, using all the ingredients around me, not defined by the ingredients I am not afraid to use. Ah, the joys of no fears. I've learned to be kind and gentle and that no matter what, some people won't like you, no matter how much you try. My definition of recovery is how I am now, living every day free of thoughts that interact and control my decisions around food and physical fitness. I live with my current partner and we have so much fun together, but with also with our rabbits. I would be lying if I said I always had a great body image. I have my days, but I choose to actively not play on those thoughts and I find the good things. I need to consciously choose not to spend time on certain things. However, through my yoga and yoga teacher training, it really helped me to learn to be proud of my body and what it's worth and what it's provided me with. And I am really proud of my body. It's really gotten through a lot with me. When I think of guilt these days, I ask why. I question the evidence of the guilt and evaluate whether I should be guilty or if it's because I accept I'm a sensitive person and it's me being me. 
I've been told off by friends for over-apologising and saying sorry too much, so I'm working on noticing the guilt and deciding whether it's worth hanging on to or just noticing it and moving forward. My advice would be discussing guilt with a professional or someone you trust and understanding why you always feel guilty and looking at ways of moving past it. If we don't do this, it will just keep eating us up inside. The way I look after myself is going for walks and really investing time with my partner, my loved ones and doing what makes me feel good and doing what makes my body feel good. My rabbits, I'm talking about them again, I know. They're hilariously cute and I know some people think I'm crazy but when they spend time with them, they say how much they want rabbits too. They have the biggest personalities and always playing tricks. They love a blow dry and a brush and are so loyal. The power of having furry friends is huge. I've also been able to spend a lot of time with horses over the past few months and they've made such a huge difference to my mental health. They also are so cheeky. My self-esteem is strong. I feel sure and clear of myself and now I'm able to stand up for myself. I have the most wonderful relationships with my family members now, even my mum. We call each other every few days and that's something I never thought I'd be saying. And I'm lucky enough that my parents have also found other partners. It's great having a big family that are just so warming and accepting of every one of us. I also have the best brunch of friends and I feel so lucky to have them. For me, I was able to heal most of my friendships with my friends after my eating disorder. Some I left behind, but that's a part of life and some people are there just for a few particular journeys. I did come across a few people, And one in particular would always ask me, but how did people know you had an eating disorder? I kept mine a secret. How did people find out about yours? And sometimes when you come across people like that, you know you're both on your own journey. So sometimes it's easier just to wish them well and not let them compare. I'm also really lucky to have a few so intelligent mentors that are just so helpful and provide support and they help me workshop situations where I need assistance a lot in the work sense or personal life and just talking things through with people older than me with more experience and hindsight are great and to have people believe in me has really helped me believe in myself. I've also made a few friends through a few different employments and I absolutely adore them. But it took me a while to find my identity and understand myself without my eating disorder. I'm there now though and I'm so happy to not have my eating disorder as part of it. I decided a long time ago that it wouldn't be a part of my identity. It's taken a while to mourn that past but I'm not looking back. I think it's important to remember that healing involves healthy grieving. I still these days regularly discuss strategies and scenarios with my psychologist about what's going on in my life. I think everyone should have someone to talk to if they need it. It's so helpful. My message to others is that no matter what, don't give up. If something doesn't work, try something else. You can find something that works for you. Contact Eating Disorders Victoria for support. Remember that an eating disorder can happen at any shape or size, but what an eating disorder does, it makes us all miserable. Two steps backwards, one step forward isn't failing. You're still going in the right direction. It's worth it and each individual's suffering is worth so much more than the voices inside their head. Also, be patient. It takes time. Right now, you're in the right place. 
Find the small wins and find gratitude as hard as it can be. I'm not telling you to journal or meditate if you don't like it, but just finding some gratitude in your life really does help. And find people in your life that are intelligent, kind, and that lift you up, because they also help you lift yourself up. My message to teachers, parents, or clinicians and carers of people suffering with an eating disorder is that remember it is not them and that person is still there and you will find them with the unconditional love and support you provide. It's not all about finding solutions. Sometimes it's just getting by. And remember, we are all trying our best and watch out because we have so much to do once we are recovered. Thanks so much for listening. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Boonwurrung and Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.